0: Okay, so uh, my name is Ernestine Lyons, and um, I am a councilwoman, and I'm also um, the host of a—it's uh, a web web series that also is a podcast, and um, I talk about social and contemporary issues. And you know, I wanted to be able to have a conversation and a workshop to address the divide that is happening in our country. On one side, you know, uh, acknowledging law enforcement isn't easy. And um, the jobs of public safety, is not it's not really easy to be in that line of work. But on the other hand, there's a lot of data that shows that there are biases and there's discrimination in policing. And in some ways, I really want to be able to build trust in communities I know in my community and uh, as well as other communities Um, around the country and around, you know, just Michigan and wherever these conversations are being had. And, you know, I know that they are being had um, nationwide. We want to be able to understand, you know, the full scope of things. So this is meant to be a very informal means of, you know, workshopping out what can we do better. So, um, and, you know, I really would like to hear legitimate concerns from, you know, the the folks here in this workshop. And, you know, what we're going to do is work through this to, you know, really be able to get into, you know, the nitty gritty of, you know, what can we do to make our society better? Um, and so we're just going to go ahead and like dive right into some concepts and then we're going to um You know, have more of a discussion discussion that can really help guide us along the way um, of, you know, just so what we're going to do is go around and um, do like a quick introduction if you guys are okay with that. um, And what you hope to gain from the workshop.
1: All right, I'll
2: introduce myself um so hi i'm lauren church Uh, i've lived in harper woods now for five or six years um i have a black lives matter sign in my front yard i care about social justice um and it's definitely something that uh the events of the last uh few years but especially this last year i've realized that i need to be a more active participant in my community and um Making deliberate important uh, choices in my actions and what I do to, to sort of um, help uh, support that cause. So uh, showing up to things like this and having open discussion as part of that. So that's why I'm here. Awesome. Thank
0: you. Okay, I can call on someone. Let's go with uh, Samantha.
1: Hi, so I am here, I am from the Bay Area, so this is very near and dear to my heart and always has been, Um, but I love to get new information and things and tools that can help me uh, because I feel like it's definitely an ongoing discussion and I feel like this has been happening for more than, you know, the past year, but it's really been heightened, so I want to do anything and everything that I can to help.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Samantha, for sharing that. Okay, Michelle.
1: Yeah, I'm Michelle Thompson. I live about 45 minutes south of Nashville. I am actually in a counseling program now to help first responders, but I'm taking this to kind of expand my knowledge on social justice.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much everybody for sharing and I see we have, you know, a wide uh, group of, you know, just locations and things like that. And I love that that about Eventbrite um, kind of brings us all together. So, um, I am just going to delve right into, um, you know, the the presentation here. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And Start the presentation. Okay, so um, like I said, I wanted to start having these conversations and this started um, as a, you know, just a follow up to a series that, you know, um, my community had here in Harper Woods, um, you know, on uh, just just race, social justice. Um, and then we kind of delved into a second part of that discussion um, that happened on Juneteenth. Um, and it was focused around just how can we heal? How can we do better? How can we, you know, dismantle systems that, you know, in some ways are can be oppressive but then at the same time you know some systems that you know obviously aren't working for everyone no matter what background Um, and so we had that first workshop and you know it was it was one where you got to hear so many different perspectives and there were a lot of people who wanted to know you know how we can all do better how we can all step up and what does that look like Um, and then the second part was really delving into books. Um, you know, we we talked and talked about and discussed the book White Fragility, and then we also um, talked about the book How to Be an Anti-Racist. So um, we we had some moments too. I'm sorry. I'm just going to mute here. My dog's going to do something crazy. Okay, she's not. Um, she's been barking really crazy. So. Um, we we had this discussion and then now I think the the next part is to you know just kind of delve right into you know talking more about um, what is social justice and you know what does community policing actually look like um, and then kind of looking at some real life examples um, and then I think it's important to hear both sides of the equations because in some ways. Um, you can't villainize one side and say, you know, there's a problem with, you know, just police or this community needs to do better. So I think it's, it's really, it's worth having a discussion and looking at a lot of different factors that go into creating more of an equal playing field for everyone. Okay, so um, some of the main topics are going to be just uh, policing and public safety, and um, like I said, community police relations, and then training and transparency. So um, let's kind of delve right into, uh, oh, okay. And so I don't know if I really properly introduced myself. Um, and and this is a part of something that's going to morph into something that's a lot, a lot larger than what we have here. Um, because like I said, a workshop, we want to be able to, you know, kind of think about ideas and, you know, come up with solutions and then have commitments. So um, I think the biggest thing here is to um, to have this, you know, we want chaos, uh, chaos to turn into clarity. And, you know, I'm the facilitator and I've been having conversations with not only the police in my own community, but also police um, all over the state of Michigan and, um, you know, just uh, to To have a better understanding of, you know, um, what is the problem from their end, like what do they think um, needs to be done to to foster that that better sense of social justice. So, um, so I think in some ways, um, this community partnerships and uh, problem solving, I think it's it's a good way to really help facilitate, um, you know, just something that you see that there's an issue and you want to be able to, um, to, to kind of mitigate the storms and be able to, to offer something that, you know, can do something for uh, a community that may be outside of the box, you know, maybe it's not something you've ever looked into before. Um, and, you know, so it, it, it does want to, it does We do really want to also look at definitions too. So what I'm going to do is just uh, define social justice here, just for a second, and I'm going to find my note here. Okay, so social justice, we really, we have a working definition that is, you know, um, fair and just relations between individuals and society. And it's measured by distribution of wealth, um, opportunities, personal activities, social privileges. Okay, and we have someone just joining us here. Hello, welcome to our social justice uh, workshop. Hello, I'm Ernestine Lyons, the host. Who do we have here? Okay, we have a
3: number. Jonathan Takish.
0: Hi, Jonathan. This is Ernestine. Um, welcome to the social justice workshop. And uh, do you, do you wanna introduce yourself?
3: Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm Jonathan Takish. I uh, work uh, with uh, different public safety partners in the Pittsburgh region. Um, and I saw this uh, pop up on the uh, Eventbrite uh, that I had. And I uh, felt, uh, might be something of value to take away. So I uh, took an interest in uh, signing up for it, and uh, I'm eager to uh, listen to uh, the presentation.
0: Okay, thank you so much for joining. Um, and and we actually love having a perspective here from um, someone who actually works in public safety. Um, you know, I kind of get a gave a brief overview of this format. This is a part of a series that will morph into more conversations. The first one talked about um, you know the concepts of you know, just anti-racism and um, things like white fragility and, you know, anti-Blackness. And now we we delve a little bit more into um, just discussions around how we can not only support public safety in in terms of more training and, you know, more policies that can really help, you know, kind of take away that narrative that, you know, there are so many bad apples that, you know, it's just a broken system. But I think in some ways, um, we're, we're looking to have more conversations on how we can improve systems and, you know, just really have um, more definitions. And we had just defined um, before you joined us social justice. Um, we were looking at social justice being um, defined by personal activity, social privileges, and um just really having a creation of safety nets and economic justice, social mobility, and breaking barriers. So in a lot of ways, it is, you know, when you have, you know, uh, you need disruptive innovation to be able to mitigate the storms of, you know, change. Because in some ways, we've always had evolution in our societies when we see that something isn't serving everyone, something isn't working. Um, And so, you know, the whole, behind the the conversation is we want to be able to you know start having these workshops um and i want to hear from you guys on like what do you think needs to be done better so i'm gonna jump ahead a little here and so um jumping right into ways to actively participate in supporting police um is I think in some ways it's it 's really being able to foster trust and i i 've been grappling with a better term for supporting police because you know, like i said there are there are a lot of problems and we 're trying to dismantle you know systems that you know we, we, we recognize that there are biases and we recognize that there are statistics tons of them that that Show that there are a lot of you know uh, conversations that are not being had because there are biases and there are problems. So um, I know that in some ways it's really important to be able to align a community's policies with the community values. And and in that that way, I think it really behooves a lot of you know folks working in public safety and law enforcement to uh, participate in in that that sense of I'm a part of the community of the community for the community and I know that's a mantra that um, in the city of Harper Woods uh, where I you know uh, live and work it's it's something that our police you know uh, want to want to actively pursue so um, this is something also um, uh, in the wake of the George Floyd incident Um, The Michigan Senate actually um, passed a bill on police training, and um, I believe it is is currently in revision stages, and so it's an an act to provide for the creation of a commission on law enforcement standards and to be able to prescribe powers and duties and reporting responsibilities um, to certain local agencies and require training for law enforcement officers and What that means is setting up you know maybe police oversight commissions and you know um other entities that can really help and i'm sorry can you guys all see that the main presentation or did it did it all go small
2: it looked fine it was it was full screen until just a second ago
0: okay it was full screen because i want to be able to uh you know access one more of the notes that i had here Um, Can I ask a question while you do that? Absolutely. And this
2: is supposed to be really
0: informal, so we can just chime in and ask questions. Mm -hmm.
2: Cool. Um, I was going to say, so I I know that you said this came out of sort of the wake of the George Floyd, you know, the events uh, that came after that. What I was curious about is, was there, at least in Michigan, and it's okay if you don't know this, I don't expect you to be the expert, (laughs) but did something like that exist before? Was there any sort of formalized structure for law enforcement training? So that's the thing. It's really left up to to the
0: municipalities. And I think in some ways, it's it's now being brought to the national conscience. And this is something that now a lot more people are thinking about, like, wow, well, maybe we do need more cultural sensitivity training. Maybe we do need more, you know, de-escalation training. And I'm actually going to show a clip from um, you know a few perspectives coming from police officers and um, they just kind of talk about you know some of the struggles and you know these are things these are simple fixes so that's the thing I think the conversation in America has shifted to um, yes or no black and white and police are bad or you know police are good and so I think there really is an in-between and so you know there's just so much um, out there that we're kind of leaving on the table when you know a lot more communities can have you know some of these these laws and these these opportunities to train you know police more so you know this is this is something that I think that um, you know having this this conversation around like oh you know you've got a whole barrel of bad apples when really there are other things in place that you know you really need to to take into consideration so um yeah i think this this is something that it's only recently like oh let's have this conversation statewide so um any other questions well, so
1: yeah um something that i'm a bit concerned about is so aligning with community policies i there are still a lot of places in this country that are very racist um and i'm concerned that if there are not stricter guidelines, I guess, in those areas that, you know, the police will come from that community of systemic racism and they'll just stick with that and support that.
0: So that I feel like that's an aspect that we also have to consider as well. Right. And I think that is something that um, it does you you're really right about that because I think in some ways it's a culture of, you know, you're you're behind the blue line. And, you know, this is something that I've had several police officers that I've interviewed and um you know, I just want to shed a little light on my background. I worked with um, the city of Detroit has a civil rights inclusion and opportunity department and so um, I worked um, with that team there we, we conducted civil rights investigations and we looked into, you know, um, complaints about civil rights violations and then we also, you know, handled a lot of those conversations around um, race Justice and you know and then of course working as a council person. I work closely with law enforcement. I have family and friends who are police officers and I do feel like I'm Like I I have so much experience and you know, um, I've started this process of, you know, doing this really in depth research for like understanding. Okay, like the police are not all bad because you know I have friends and family, and these are living breathing people, but at the same time you look at all of these civil rights violations. you look at all of these injustices you look at this this history of you know um, not seeing the humanity in black neighborhoods and in you know um, situations where you know black people are just kind of uh systemically being subject to to like uh, mistreatment at the hands of law enforcement so I think that there really has to be a way that we understand both sides and then we brainstorm as to you know what we can do to 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 get through it so i think you're you're absolutely right where there are you know police forces um that i was i was speaking with the gross point police officer um which is a predominantly white area in um in michigan and he was just saying that a lot of times the unions protect problem employees and you know good employees you know never really need union assistance. And, you know, then it's also a, a, a feeling of, you know, just like, okay, well, you need to speak up more. And, you know, but some people are afraid to. So I think that, you know, there, there are so many concerns and problems that, you know, we really have to like work through them um, and and have these difficult conversations frequently, so. Any other questions? And thank you, uh, Jonathan, for joining. And if you want to chime in and introduce yourself, um, I'm Ernestine Lyons, um, the host of this workshop. And uh, we were just going through um, some things here. And we would just love to hear you, because it's going to be very informal. Um, we want to hear questions. And we're going to also delve into more, um, what is your perspective of you know, law enforcement? What can we do better? What is, what is working? What isn't? So welcome. Okay, so I'm just gonna um, jump right back into the presentation here. Um, okay. Okay. So um, when we talked, we talked about defining social justice. We also want to talk about some things that are, you know, uh, there's there's actually a policy called eight can't wait. And there are eight policies that you know really uh, they they run the gamut of things that can be easily implemented, and they can help you know break down some of these um, things that escalate, um, and then they get, they they just get out of control. So. Um, It it, it ranges from, you know, banning chokeholds and limiting transfer of military equipment to local law enforcement, which, you know, in smaller municipalities like the one I live in, that's not so much of a a problem, but I know in larger cities like, you know, say a Detroit or New York, that is, you know, the case. And, um, you know, then there's also the National Police Misconduct Registry. um, And these are some of the things that are steps that can be taken. Um, and so I really want to be able to get into um what does it mean to defund the police. Um, you know, there's there's a um yeah, a meme out there that, you know, talks about it's not necessarily about, you know, taking away the 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 resources of the police because I know in my municipality um there are so many things that the police actually do need and and the funds a lot of times are going to legacy costs and i know many cities are actually dealing with you know 30 years ago you had these huge pensions that were given to law enforcement that are you know now still being paid whereas now officers are making 17 dollars an hour or 15 dollars an hour and you know they're not necessarily um even getting new equipment regularly they're getting it every 15 years and so um I think really what it means is investing in something like we have in my community, which is a a mental health court, and they have, you know, the county assigns mental health court officers who deal with problem cases where, you know, you have the opportunity to um, work with, you know, uh, someone from the, the Wayne County Sheriff's Department or, you know, other entities that can can help making sure that that people who have mental problems are not the one the police don't have to use their precious resources to go and respond to these things and you kind of get ahead of the the discussion before it becomes okay we have to shoot this guy because he was mentally unstable any questions anybody want to chime in yeah i was wanting to say that um based on
1: what i had just last said i feel like this is a very all or nothing type of thing where there's so many problems that a lot of people get overwhelmed. And so they go, okay, then we just need to restructure the entire thing, which I do feel that that is definitely true in a lot of ways um, based on the history of where the police come from and, and what's happening now. But I think that also the all or nothing
0: mentality can be a bit destructive because there are some good things that are happening as well. Exactly, exactly. And like I said, you know, you you just hear so many terrible stories about like, I really had to deescalate this situation and it was really tragic and you're, you know, you're responding to domestic violence and you're responding to things where normally, you know, a rational person just kind of loses their cool and so it, it, There's there's so much but um, at least starting the conversation is, you know, a way of thinking outside of the box and then also thinking about things that maybe there was a stone left unturned or maybe there was something that, you know, we can, you know, just, just really even um, have a more intentional and, you know, um, creative kind of thought process around, you know, what we can, we can change.
2: So, uh, just to kind of piggyback on Samantha's point, um, I think that when we, as a country, talk about you know making changes like this, I think. It, it you're right in that it's all or nothing, but I worry about that type of thinking because it is it is paralyzing. And to Ernestine's point, so we just have to start the conversation. We have to start somewhere or else we'll end up paralyzed like we have with, you know, um, gun reform or, or some of these other larger issues that really ended up in kind of immediate gridlock and stalemate because – we we never were able to start having the conversations because the issues are so big you know immigration reform these things that we know are broken things that we know need to change but unfortunately you know the the conversations never really get past that initial hurt of whatever event has brought light to it last um so I, I hope that the momentum and sort of the real talk that's, that's coming out of sort of these more recent events, even though they are heartbreaking and challenging, I hope that they, they spur more uh, um, action and they actually get some traction.
0: Thank you, thank you so much for for like adding that, Lauren. Um, and you know, you're you're really right because um, I do think that over the years you you've seen so many you know oh well it's too soon to talk about gun legislation right after a mass shooting. And you know I think that's one thing somebody made a comment to me about. Oh well, maybe with most people doing virtual school, you'll see less school shootings. And you know, and it's just like that shouldn't be you know something that we're like grateful that a pandemic has actually you know, brought something that can stop a problem that can really be addressed by, you know, just holding your local elected officials and your law enforcement um, uh, officials, and because these are also appointed positions, um, holding, holding these folks accountable and making them, you know, do what's right for, you know, our country, um, Australia had in 1996, a mass shooting, they banned, you know, um, assault rifles and, you know, guns and things of that sort. And they haven't had any incident like this since. And, you know, it, it's just, uh, that's, that's a whole different, you know, kind of, you um, a whole different thing that is also being set to the to the side. And then, you know, we're just like, okay, well, we don't have a solution. So it will just get set on the back burner. And, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, but I think, you know, I'd, I'd really have to push that, you know, we are, you know, trying to really be able to um, You know, just just address things that that need to have these these consistent conversations. So, um, so uh, with addressing systemic racism, that's something you really do have to um, take into consideration with, um, you know, just some of these stats. So um, you look at, you know, federal prison and, you know, you look at inmates and you look at some of these numbers here um, and, you know, you just have these these this rise in, you know, kind of having, you know, more people in prisons. And, you know, it's not like People changed. Nothing changed about people. It's more policies became more, you know, uh, it, it's almost like you, you replace one system. And uh, in Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, she kind of talks about how, you know, when one system, you know, kind of, you know, was phased out. You got rid of slavery and then you got rid of Jim Crow and then you face right into another system, which is mass incarceration, because if you have, you know, um, A problematic people, then, you know, I think over policing can then become, you know, something that is the, the solution for, for a problem that in some ways it is created by a system that fails everyone. Because when you really think about it, um, the opioid crisis even is a byproduct of you know failed systems in in our country where you know at a certain point we stop investing in mental health and we stop investing in our um, you know older industrialized cities where you had these, these, um, you know, more working class white individuals, um, mostly male, who would get jobs working in factories, who would, you know, have these jobs where it was mostly industrial. And when you take away those jobs and you, you know, stop you investing in your own community, you divest and you move things overseas, then it creates other problems and you start to see depths of despair and, you know, rises in in, in addiction to opioids. And so it's, it's also something that creates other byproducts when you don't really, you know, look at how the system is failing everyone. And so in in some ways um we've really been trying to get ahead of this particular problem in um in my community and so trust and accountability between law enforcement and the communities um, that we're sworn to protect is essential to our officers and you know this is something that you see um with their interactions with our public and you know, proper policing practices require that law enforcement build positive relationships with the community and respect civil liberties, Um, and then avoid some of these tactics that, um, you know, are going to use too much force, are going to, you know, kind of alienate citizens and make them afraid of the police. Um, And, you know, officers in the public need to work as a team. um, And keep in mind, Sir Robert Peel's words, um, the police are the public, and the public are the police. Okay, so I'm just going to stop here and we can share some of our ideas and, you know, start to workshop. But before that, I do want to share a clip from um, some law enforcement um, officials kind of talking about um, some of their perspectives. Um, I will fast forward through because um, it's it's about, it's a two part workshop and it's a little long. So I I, I just want to kind of show a little bit of that. So I'm going to stop sharing. And if we have any questions, um, feel free to ask. And I do wanna hear from everyone on, um, on the call. So please introduce yourself if you haven't already. Um, and you know, just tell us a little bit about your perspective and what you hope to gain. From this workshop that is. So
1: for me, something that I think that's really important to look at it. I'm I'm actually from Oakland. Um, And now we have people like Kamala, who um, are, you know, potentially vice president. And she's done a lot of really bad things for, you know, prison and crime. And it creates a lot of distrust because, you know, there's so much crime in Oakland. And I imagine that being a police officer there is difficult. But you know, then you have people like Kamala who really have not helped uh, the bias, and you would, you would you would think that she would help that. Um, and now she's potentially one of the highest people in the country. So I think for a lot of people um, that I know, it's it's very hard to create that trust because we want to believe in these people who say these things and, you know, she says these things, but her actions don't match that.
0: And I think this is why, you know, and this is meant to be like a really brief introduction to some of these broad concepts that can, we can revisit again and again um, with further workshops. But, uh, you know, I talked about bias and, you know, um, sort of like, you know, just, just having these these kind of racial understandings. Those are also things that, you know, apply to black people too. And I think in some ways, um, I, there was a friend who, you know, had a quote and said that, um, you know, um, it was an older Black lady who said that, oh, Black people need to be policed. Black people need to be, you know, watched over because we, you know, and it's just like, this is something that is ingrained, not just in, you know, people who are not Black, but Black people ourselves in some way. So it's really, these are the narratives. And I know that in Ibram Kendi's book um, that we discussed in another workshop, um, he talks in, how to be an anti-racist he talks about how a lot of this internalized racism you know you you are it's like self-perpetuating kind of like okay well um i'm the problem and this is something that i think that you know in the late 1990s and early 2000s when you have kamala harris also you know saying we need to be sh- you know, tough on crime. We need to, you know, be making sure that, you know, and I remember I see, saw a clip of her um, joking about sending kids to jail and, you know, telling their parents that, you know, if you cut class, you're going to be sent to jail. And the kids were scared. And she was just kind of joking about it and with a big smile on her face. And so, you know, this is why, um, you know, it's, it's one person isn't going to be a fix and you know it's it's more you really have to look at internally like what are we doing as a society to support a broken system and that and when i say we i mean everybody and you know i think it really does come down to you know being able to to really break it down and understand it um understanding looking at the research and you know being proactive about talking to your police department and you know saying that You know, maybe more training needs to happen. And we do need to have, you know, a citizen complaint process. And we do need to, you know, look into, you know, some of the fixes that, you know, just just even addressing, you know, biases that that no matter who is in is in charge, who has the power, like, are we really looking at all of the factors? Are we looking at socioeconomic status in class, which can really, you know, determine behaviors? Are we looking at the social determinants of health? Um, and, you know, are we taking all of these factors and the research into consideration when we are looking at creating the new normal? Any other comments? Thank you for that. That was actually really insightful. Um, And, you know, I love, I love this group. You guys are brilliant. So, okay, I'm going to pull up this clip.
4: doing the job and the call to action in a lot of those protests is to defund the police right how do you react to that weeks ago as the nation watched george floyd lose his life at the hands of a minneapolis police officer wounds that never seemed to heal were once again reopened in this country And in that moment, I decided I wanted to get a group of cops from around the country together on a video call to confront the issues and the problems that have long since plagued American law enforcement. I didn't want to provide a forum for carefully constructed and reviewed statements from spokespeople at City Hall. I wanted to hear an authentic, unfiltered conversation between cops from diverse backgrounds dissecting the actions of not only those officers in Minneapolis, but the systemic issues within their profession which have given rise to widespread outrage and protests on American streets, including people calling for the defunding of the police. This is part one of that conversation. Uh, I'm really excited to be with you guys here. Thank you for being so generous with your time on a Saturday. No problems. Thank you for the opportunity. Let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. And Joe Dutton, why don't we start with you? Okay, I had uh, 31 years. I am now retired.
5: I work for a city called Golden Valley, which is an inner ring suburb of Minneapolis. I'm a use of force expert. I testified in court in reference to that. Yeah, so I was the police officer for six and a half years for the Tucson Police Department. I was a spokesperson of the police department. I was a field training officer. I did just about everything. Um, And I left the police department in 2017. Um, As a police officer, I was actually in the process of promoting a sergeant.
6: I'm Aaron Cho. I've been on the job 20 years uh, in February. Been a sergeant for three and a half years uh, in Los Angeles County. And uh, my specialty is uh, as a public information officer, patrol sergeant, and uh, public relations expert. So I just retired in March from the Dayton Police Department in Ohio. I was there for 21 years and five years in the U.S. Army before that. In April, I assumed the position of Director of Research and Procedural Justice for the Charleston Police Department here in Charleston, South Carolina, where my primary responsibility is to implement the findings of a huge racial bias audit that the city of Charleston
7: uh, conducted over the last couple of years.
8: I was a um, sheriff's deputy for the Charles County Sheriff's Office for approximately seven years. I was in K-9 for my last two years there. Um, I love that job. That's probably the best job in police work. And then just recently, I uh, accepted a job at one of DC's um, smaller departments.
7: In the game eight years, sergeant, SWAT team member, FTO pretty much working in one of the most dangerous cities in Ohio. done it all in these eight years. Seriously, not, not even an exaggeration. I've been in policing and
5: law enforcement in general for over 20 years. Started out my career in policing with the New York City Police Department. Worked in all the major investigation bureaus within the NYPD, from the Detective Bureau, Internal Affairs and Narcotics Division. I was the Deputy Chief for the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. Currently, I'm the first Deputy Commissioner of the Westchester County Department of Corrections, and um, my views today represent my own personal views as a professional law enforcement expert, and not the views of my department.
7: I'm a detective, 16 years on the job. Uh, I'm a, I was patrol for 10 years, detective now. Uh, Chicago, and we're North Suburb, Zion, North Suburb of uh, Chicago. Very, very busy city. I was on SWAT, FTO back in the day, but now I I, uh, I run a, a outreach program. It's
4: great. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys being here. And I think the question I really want to throw out to the group first is, what is it like to be a police officer in America right
7: now?
8: I'll go first. Um, I know my first uh, instance of when things changed um, was probably going from Trayvon uh, Trayvon to uh, the Michael Brown incident. Um, The Trayvon issue didn't really kind of affect us because I was a citizen. But, you know, when the Michael Brown incident um, happened, it seemed like people just kind of, like, switched on a dime. You know, you just felt like, man, I'm out here doing everything I can. And, you know, those people just turned on me for something I had nothing to do with. And it felt
5: like I was being blamed for something that was going on
8: in a whole other country.
5: Yeah, you know, it's like a big circle. I mean, you start and the public loves you. Like, Byron was saying, they pay for your coffee or they'll do this or do that and then a critical incident happens or something negative, no matter where it happens in the nation, it affects everybody in the nation. And I I can remember having to evolve through that at least seriously about five or six times. I can tell you what, I think that what it appears to be is that uh, policing in the the negative sense is on steroids now compared to when I left in 2017. So I, I really hate to see the state of policing in America because I believe that the police job, the police career, the calling is such an honorable thing. And, and it is one of the most integral careers to ever exist in America. Most police officers are doing the right thing. Most police agencies are holding people accountable. We have the knuckleheads out there like you would have in any profession that make us look bad. But it's sad to see such an honorable profession um, be treated this
7: way in America. Let's be really honest. Like Law enforcement in general has always been this way. Technology had advanced to a point where now we capture. What we are seeing right now has been going on for decades. This ain't nothing new. You get what I'm saying? It's just now it's in the limelight. I didn't work with cops that's been racist. You know what I'm saying? I didn't work with cops that's been, you know, uh, sexist. You feel me? Like this ain't something that's new. I'm just, I'm not gonna say that I agree with the terms in which it has come out into the public, but I am happy that there is some light being shone because it's no more hearsay, you know, say, hey, man, the police took me around the corner and beat my ass. And that's all you got to go off of is your word. You get what I'm saying? Imagine if body cameras never got implemented. It's a different it. curse. You get what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's helped me. You get what I'm saying? More so than it's harmed me. But when I first got introduced to a body camera, I was kind of like, I ain't really wanted it for real. But I had to learn to work with it. You know what I'm saying? But that, that's just my take on it. You know?
6: I hear what you're saying, David, but do you think it's uh, unique to police or is it a people problem? Because if you're a, a racist cop, it means you're a racist person. If, you are, if you've got prejudices, you carry those into the job. And sure, the job magnifies you. If you're a womanizer, the job amplifies that. If you're an idiot, the job amplifies that. I just don't see it being unique to law enforcement. I think law enforcement, and I've been in many professions, um, I, I teach at a very conservative Baptist university as well, and they go through a lengthy background process because you're working with students. But that still doesn't come close to what we go through as law enforcement officers. We go through a background process pretty Sorry, time we lost
0: the video. Including exes
6: who don't have anything favorable to say about you. So yeah. when we get into this job, I think they do a pretty good job weeding out the bad people. But no process is perfect for as long as there's human, for as long as there's somebody that wants this job, they're going to say the right thing. It's what happens after the fact. And I think if we look at the 99.5% of officers that do a good job every day, and you look at that very, very small minority of officers that do stupid things, I can't say that that's unique to police work. And it sounds like you're saying that we're bringing this up to light. I I think it's just human nature. As long
7: Mm -hmm. as it's I'm, I'm being honest with you. you know what I'm saying? i can only I can only speak from experience. Guess, guess what I'm saying? So for you, your experiences are different, so you have a different outlook. For me, my experiences are different, so I'm going to have a different outlook. I'm not saying you're wrong, so I'm not wrong either. I can only go by what I'm experiencing. Yeah, yeah I'm just trying to get clarifications to what you're saying. I mean, I so, my entire
6: career was in Los Angeles County. I started in 99 when there was hardly any Asian officers, so Believe me, I understand that there is a little bit of conflict when it comes to different races and stuff. I, I've been there. I grew up in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I've been through it all. But it's not unique to police. I didn't experience racism as soon as I became a police officer. It happened my entire life. If I can jump
8: in. I think it's so as far as growing up, you know, black, we already have a, um, a different view of policing because what a lot of people don't realize, and, you know, especially to some of my, um, my white colleagues. Is that, um, and Joe, you're like my father's age. Segregation was just a few, not that long ago. During my dad, my dad went to a segregated school. He's still walking around today. He's 70 years old. That wasn't that long ago. Uh, And during that time, police were used as the arm of a lot of segregationist policies. So we are uh, taught in a lot of households in the black community that cops are bad. Cops are bad. They're going to do this, whether it's warranted or not. You know, so that's kind of like PTSD passed from our parents, from mm-hmm. my parents' parents to us that a cop, if he gets a hold of you, if he stops you, if he can do it and get away with it, he's going to do something bad too. So that's yeah. kind of ingrained in a lot of us, um, valid or not, you know. So that's one of the things that we're dealing with, you know. So that's, that's,
4: I've been here really oh, I'm going to throw this question to By show of hands. Who here feels that there were bad apples in the policing agency that they worked in?
0: That
7: there were? Yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm going to stop it there. Um, and I can send links to, you know, this and part two. But I did want to at least have um, this this perspective because I felt like this was a, it was a very powerful documentary. And my only thing I felt like in some ways, it did make me a little upset that, Wendy, the only female um, officer who was on there, in part two, there was, there was, I felt that she was trying to explain misogyny that goes on and how female officers actually have, you know, uh, a lot of statistics that show that they can help um, de-escalate a lot of situations that are, you know, you know, just officers who tend to have higher ranks as far as, you know, not having a lot of violence, not having, you know, things escalate out of control um, that, that point to, you know, that lead to violence or death and things like that. And, you know, they just kind of, Shut her up. And, you know, in some ways, um, I think that that kind of points to, you know, some of the things, but it's it's a really um, insightful, uh, you know, sort of uh, interview series done by Vice News. And, you know, I'm just going to link that here um, in the chat. But you know, that kind of leads into um, sort of the, the the discussion part of um, this this workshop. So um, for, for those who just joined, I know Sharon, um, I, I hope I'm saying that right. If you want to make an introduction, um, I know you um, joined a little bit ago. Or if anybody has any um, observations or comments on, you know, what the police officers were sharing, um, and you know oh wow this thing needs to be okay sorry that was my talk to speech it was you know saying everything i was saying so i'm like what on earth is this so um yes any thoughts
1: i think that um there was the one cop from southern california who said that uh, 99% of cops are good. I think that that also it's, it's, I think that that's very probably valid. Um, and then I think that that also needs to be recognized for, you know, when cops are dealing with black people, they need to see that also that 99% of black people are great as well. And minorities are great as well. And so I, I think that that's kind of, it's, it's true on both sides, but I don't think it's often seen on both sides by both sides.
0: Right, right. Thank you. Thank you for that, Samantha, um, in that perspective. And and I think this is the problem, too, that the reason why I even wanted to have this discussion and really focus it on um, police. And, you know, because I've known a lot of good police and, you know, I've seldom really had any, a lot of interactions with bad police, but, you know, they're out there and, you know, you have instances, you know, where, you know, that just bad things have happened and, you know, but that's the thing about it, you know, it's really important to, to kind of have those perspectives being heard. And then, you know, even when you're listening to other people, you can hear the things that aren't said. And you know um, some of these things that you know even the police officers in this interview they go on to you know talk about things that it's kind of telling you know what kind of culture they had been um, chat button. Um, I don't have too much of an opinion. Um, also joined late. Thank you for okay. But um, sure, sure. Feel free to chime in. Um, even if you don't have an opinion, just um, because it's a it's a workshop, and we we want to hear from everybody. Um, because we don't have the answers, in a lot of ways, we're looking for the answers from from everybody's perspectives, and. Um, yeah, so I know that. Also even Jonathan, um, I would like to even hear from you if, or um I believe it was the, the gentleman who joined us from the um with the phone line. Um someone mentioned that they worked in um public safety. So we'll also like to hear those.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, actually uh that, that's me. I, I don't know what happened there, but um I'm, I'm in the uh the Zoom meeting, but I also am represented there uh as the number that's dialed in. So I, I have Two little boxes up there, but
0: awesome. Um, yeah. So, what are your yeah. thoughts on um, some of the things that the police officers in the video talked about? Um, and you know, just tell us about that perspective.
3: Well, it's um, uh, really, really revealing and really interesting. Um, and you know, S- Samantha brought up a really good point that yes, whenever something bad does happen that involves an officer, be it an uh, excessive force or an officer involved shooting or whatever the case may be, uh, that's not representative of the whole department. But at the same time, you know, uh, a, a black or brown individual, there's not a monolith either. They're not a representative of the whole uh, community and the whole culture. So if there is somebody um, that, you know, did something, uh, that committed a crime, they're not representative of the larger uh, community as well. So there, there needs to be that sort of cross- understanding between those two different communities through, you know, in, in policing and in, uh, you know, communities of color and things like that to understand, you know, no, not all black folks are bad. No, not all cops are bad. Um, But it's also important to, uh, to point out too, that whenever, uh, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that whenever, uh, um, you know, uh, law enforcement does report uh, uh, somebody that, uh, you know, maybe overstepped their bounds or did use excessive force the uh, The circling of the wagons, so to speak, should be around those individuals because they're standing up and they're doing the right thing. Um, it shouldn't be circling wagons to protect the individual uh, you know that was committing that malfeasance. So uh, in, in my opinion, at least, uh, you know there needs to be uh, definitely needs to be more support for the, uh, the the good cops, so to speak, that are stepping up and speaking out, saying, "Hey, I saw this or I encountered this. This was a problem." And it's something that needs to be addressed. And they need to have that support, uh, not just from the communities that they police in, but also from their own departments.
0: And so Jonathan, um, in, in, your area, in the area that you represent, are there a lot of like sort of transparency and accountability sort of systems in place, like maybe a, a police commission or community policing commission um, or law enforcement and public safety um, sort of uh, presence?
3: Um, I work in the Pittsburgh area. Um, There is, I think in the city of Pittsburgh, there is a citizen police review board. Um, So they address a lot of those types of things. Um, But uh, as I'm not sure who made the point earlier on, but um, it is kind of a municipality by municipality uh, decision as far as how, how that works and what that looks like. Um, You know, some departments that are smaller, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania alone, there's, Uh, there's hundreds of police departments um, because there's all small little departments here and there, just a little tiny municipality out in the middle of nowhere that has two, three officers, that kind of thing. So a lot of those rules and regs aren't, uh, you know, applied at any universal level. Um, So it's all, a lot of it has to do with uh, you know, how each individual uh, department forms their policies regarding transparency and those types of things.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I did make the point about municipalities. It's different from place to place because um, I know in my community, which is um, a little town of Harper Woods, and it has about uh, 15,000 residents. And so it's a small town. um, And there, you know, small towns like this in Michigan don't typically have these kind of things. But bigger cities like Detroit, they do have a citizen review commission. And, you know, there's a lot of civilian oversight. Um, that come from, you know, the, the, the government officials, they, you know, are active. And then there's also appointed uh, people who are respected members of the community who, you know, kind of serve to keep things in check. And, um, you know, this isn't something that, I've seen big examples of throughout Michigan. And, you know, now it's being something that, you know, people are having conversations around. And, you know, I, I do think that this is a, a fairly new phenomenon. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's, um it's really interesting that, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of the perspective. It seems that a lot of people working in law enforcement actually would like to have you know these kind of presences in their communities and um so would you say that these are helpful uh, to the police and public safety forces
3: i i would say yes it is when you have transparency um you know it, it's greater because it, it benefits the whole and it creates that accountability um just look at uh you know the use of body cameras uh where previously they weren't used um and that you know it, it, you there would be incidents or complaints um you know that you know this happened or that happened and, and in many instances it, it vindicated uh some of the uh, individuals that were uh, victims uh, of excessive force or what have you and then it also uh protected the officers who were accused uh, erroneously uh, by someone saying, "Oh, they, he did this or she did this to me," um, and so you know that kind of that having that transparency really uh, helped kind of protect both both communities, the you know the the, the police community and then the the communities that they were policing and they were engaging with. Um, and so um, maybe my personal opinion, but. It, Transparency is not a bad thing, and accountability is not a bad thing um, and so it it really uh, helps to protect those different institutions, the public and the police
0: and so the police um, and you know public safety is it's kind of a new thing too that um, i I have a a kind of working Workshop or working workshop, a regular workshop that talks about um, local politics, and it's called the local politics info session. It's a very creative name. Um, local politics info session that talks about the merger of police and fire, probably about 15 to 10 years back for a lot of smaller municipalities. And it's pretty much something that, you know, uh, there was a lot of resistance to because it, it combines, you know, uh, it cross trains, firefighters and police, and they can do each other's jobs. And then they, they just have this big giant merged department. So there's no police, there's no fire. Um, and so um, do you think that, um, and sorry, I'm, I'm just just asking Jonathan from a perspective, because, you know, I think we all want to learn and um, anybody else can, can chime in too do. And I think this is going to be the last question I'm going to keep uh, picking your brain about, but do police and fire see these sorts of commissions as you know annoying, or do they see them as like, oh, you're going to be a thorn in my side? Um, any type of you know sense of like maybe resentment?
3: You know, I haven't I haven't really heard a lot of feedback um, at least in, in my uh, my line of work from fire, police, you know, emergency services. About um, you know their opinion one way or another, of of doing that that combination sort of that you were talking about, um, but it, you know I think when it comes to anything, whenever you have an institution like the fire department, like the police department that's been around for a very long time now, um, you know they're initially you know they're they're resistant to change. Uh, you know, one of the, the most dangerous things you can say is we're doing it this way because we've always done done it this way. Um, so there is a little bit of uh, perhaps resistance just because it's it's new territory and folks may not be necessarily comfortable or it's out of their out of their comfort zone. Um, but um, if I if I had to guess, I mean, there would be would probably be some resistance to it because there's there is that identity i'm a firefighter i'm a policeman you know that kind of thing um and so um you may have some resistance from uh, i want to say maybe the the more uh older groups the more you know the the folks that have, have had a longer career uh in those fields um but i think you you probably would after if it were to be implemented um hypothetically i think there may be a lot of folks that you know think oh this was hey this wasn't that bad of an idea this was this was beneficial to do this um just like a lot of departments before uh police departments were very resistant to body cameras and worked a lot with the the unions and and were different special interest groups to prevent legislation from being passed requiring body cameras and then after the fact they said well actually this was a pretty good thing because it, it it uh kept us safe and protected a lot of, uh, uh, you know, folks from, um, any kind of malfeasance be it, you know, from either side. Um, so there's, there's going to be resistance to anything you try and do and implement. Um, and you know, there's going to be this sort of, uh, this tribalism around that, those, you know, different groups and things like that, you know, that identities. But I think, uh, eventually over time, it, it, it's possibly something that, that, um, folks may have a change of heart about.
0: So um, I, I think I was looking for a little bit more clarity on just like things like citizen and police review boards. Um, you know, are do the public safety officers like police or fire, do they have, you know, a sense of like resentment towards, oh, you're telling me what to do. Oh, you're watching over me. Do, uh, or at least in, in your experience, um, you know, is that something that you feel or maybe have heard of, you know, being something that, I don't want this, and I, I'm also resistant to that as well. You know, now you've not only turned me into a public safety person, but now um, I'm also, I have this, this commission watching over me. Okay, I just got kind of a notice saying that my internet was stable, and um, I also want to welcome to Fari Brent. Um, uh, and if you want to introduce yourself, we um, have just gone through most of the presentation um, and but I do want to get your perspective on, you know, um, this sort of how we can change, you know, the, the narrative. And if you want to introduce yourself to um, You know that You know that, that, that it's like it's, it's really difficult to navigate in some ways, like, you know, our police need to be better, but at the same time, like, how can our communities kind of step up to, you know, uh, just just be the, the force for good in asking for what we need to, to, to be protected by the people who are sworn to protect us.
9: Yeah, by the way, my name is Brother Tafari Brent, uh, co-founder of Detroit Coalition of Peace and Dignity for Detroit. Detroit branch, NAACP uh, member, lifetime member, and of course, uh, Men's Ministry Fellowship Church, amongst many things, but, but um, yeah, uh, I, I think one, uh, one of the first
0: things we have to do
9: is not ask. We demand uh, police departments work for us. Uh, we don't, we don't, we're not going to continue to allow them to use our tax dollars to terrorize the communities that they've been tasked to serve and protect. So we're not you know, as community folk, we shouldn't be asking them to do anything. Uh, we should be demanding that they do what they uh, what they have been tasked to do and what they signed up to do. Uh, I was in a meeting with uh, Southfield Police uh, with the Southfield Police Department around eight. Can't wait use of force police reforms, which they have completely complied with, along with along with Detroit. And I met with Chief Adad out of Dearborn, and they are in the process of of coming into full compliance and uh and hopefully soon we'll be meeting with Harper Woods Ben Smith and hopefully you'll be a part of that councilwoman and of course uh, uh Wayne County uh, uh sheriff um Wayne County Sheriff's Department as well to bring them into compliance but yeah I mean one of the things that police the police departments can do in this particular season especially is 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 look at those um those evidence-based practices to have reduced police killings and justified killings Anywhere between 16 and 64 percent, depending upon the municipality, uh, these practices are practices created and designed by law enforcement experts, uh, not just police practitioners, but also, uh, you know, researchers and scholars who actually have dedicated their lives to doing this work to ensure that, you know, uh, uh, healthy, safe, robust community policing models are practiced by police departments throughout the country. So if we're if we are going if you know if if we uh, if we uh, uh, encourage and demand that our police departments submit to the Pelian uh, policing model and not the slave patrol policing model, uh, then uh, they will be police departments that uh, make serving and protecting the citizens the priority and not terrorizing, brutalizing, suppressing and oppressing communities. So we can start with something real simple. You know, I'm not big on having broad, broad discussions, but let's I, let's identify best practices, and we have one. Eight can't wait. Let's start with that, and let's do all that we can to ensure that our community police departments adjust and mo- and modify and change their police uh, use of force policies to reflect that. And that's uh, easy deliverable. Really, uh, it's something that not only protects the citizens but also protects the officers. It's in the best interest of all stakeholders and parties involved, so I would have just encourage us, encourage us to consider you know to, uh, to, to demand that our police departments comply with practices that are really in the best interest of everybody.
0: Thank you for that. and actually we did just go over um, we went over just like uh, talking about eight can't wait and we talked about like tactics and you know training and things that can be implemented in departments. Um, and why these things need to be adopted and uh so just our group here um you know this was a part of uh an eventbrite that you know got a lot of sign up from all over the country actually um you know we have a few on here from Harper Woods but uh mostly you know from from all over the country and um you know just just really interested in you know not only the social justice aspect of you know the struggle that you know we're going to continue to wage and continue to fight for rights but also over you know just policing and how can you know our police be better and like what do terms like abolish the police mean or or dis, um defund the police and you know what are some you know ways to you know just kind of uh, tackle use of force and um we also shared a perspective um uh, from from VICE news um that kind of talks about you know ways that the police are trying to you know just tackle uh, systemic injustice and how we can, you know, just in, as individuals begin to have those conversations, because this is a, this is through part three of a series that, um, I started in having in Harper woods, um, focused on, you know, first we looked at what does, what are some of these definitions like white fragility and what is anti-racism? What is anti-blackness? And then we kind of discussed those things in our groups. We had breakout groups, um, that really kind of broke down the topics and talked about how it relates to us and what our commitments are. So that's kind of where we are now as we wrap up this workshop. Um, I do want to hear a lot more participation and you know see where we can all be committed to you know just just continuing these conversations because this is just the beginning and we're gonna have a part two of this and you know more conversations around you know just what we can do and you know even merge this idea into something that's coming up you know um in in my community and specifically talking about you know just public safety workshops um and not just the safety part of things but you know looking at the social justice side of you know how we can truly make you know just just talk about the social determinants of health and talk about um you know, and, and actually work towards, you know, that legislation is going to get us one step closer to dismantling systems of oppression. Okay, we did have um, two other people besides uh, Teferi uh, joining us here. So if anybody else has any feedback on anything, um, I'd love to hear from D.L. Turner. I think you were new to the group. If you want to introduce yourself, um, just let us know who you are. Okay, anybody else um as far as um generally when we do have these these workshops uh it's in, it's encouraged you're really encouraged to kind of just like speak up and uh we want to hear from you and then to when we do have bigger people bigger amounts of uh folks in the workshop we break into into groups. Um but we don't really need to this time because it's a rather small um you know uh cohort here, but um, I do want to, you know, specifically, you know, kind of talk about how um, I'm committed to having more conversations around what can police unions do, because, um, you know, whether your political affiliations, you know, no matter what they are, I do think that in some ways our unions do need to be more accountable because I've, I, you know, I scoured the, you know, Fraternal Order of Police's website and I didn't see anything that talked about, you know, any type of, you know, national movement to address some of these systemic problems, any of the biases. And, you know, this is I've had several conversations with police officers all over Michigan, and, you know, this is something that this unions protect these problem employees, and that's a problem in itself.
9: You
0: know, when you yeah,
9: have, I think... mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I, I mean, that's I think That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant point. You bring up Councilmember Member Lyons and, uh, in all of the meetings that we've had with police chiefs, uh, throughout the metropolitan Detroit area, uh, you know, I've asked that the police union leadership show up and we've actually had the presidents from these unions show up at these sit downs and at these, um, at at, at these uh, negotiations, if you would like to call them that we actually comb through every element of their use of force policies and I've yet to have one police, uh, I mean, one union president disagree, you know, once, you know, once is appropriately explained to them what it is, and how it benefits their membership as well as the community, they've all bought into it, you know, Detroit, which is one of the bigger ones. Uh, of course, Southfield and 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 Dearborn, they've all bought into it because, you know, it makes perfect sense. It protects all of the stakeholders, the communities and even their officers, you know, uh, I think. But to your point, one of the things that we're doing at a legislative level, I expressed this to Senator Chang and others, is that we need to look at, you know, changing the M codes, the M procedures and policies, you know, to ensure that officers who Create heinous violations to the M to M codes are decertified and they can't you know they can't hide themselves uh, in other departments after they get released from a department for misconduct, and then you know replicate that behavior you know in other departments and terrorize you know citizens and other in other departments in other cities. So I think that's one of the things that we need to look at moving forward, these officers need to be discertified and disqualified from serving and protecting our citizens once they, you know, prove themselves to be not, you know, to not be worthy of that privilege. Uh, and I think that's, that's ultimately where we must go, because if you have that kind of language and database, because you need to track them, because they won't be there, they'll be removed and disallowed.
0: i think i think we lost your volume um but um you, you you do make some good points is is everybody hearing okay
2: he's on mute now but yes
0: oh, okay all right uh, i think you were on mute can you hear us now yeah
2: yeah okay i can hear you
0: now because you i think halfway through the conversation uh, we, we did lose you you went on mute um but yeah. but you the point um, about you know just having these officers and this is like conversations after conversation with police i've had you know it's like these officers get their jobs back and year after year you know this happens time and time again and you know i brought up the unions because you know on their website and on the national levels you're not seeing any commitment to you know any of these kind of changes and sure i think they may give lip service on local levels but you know if there's not you know from the top any type of you know not even addressing it and then i do know that um the fraternal order of police you know did give an endorsement and i don't want to get too political into this um in this particular workshop but um you know there there were there were just kind of like commitments that were made and you know it it kind of points to you know having a more a perspective that, you know, can be problematic when you see you're not really looking at why people are out protesting. You know, protest is a right that we all have and people should if they're upset because how else will, will things actually be solved. And, you know, I'm actually glad that you brought up, you know, just the, the legislation because earlier in the workshop and I'll send you um, um, A copy of the presentation we did talk about the Michigan legislature and, you know, that I know that Senator Chang and Senator Olie were um, part of this, you know, sort of, um, you know, something in the the Michigan Senate that talked about, um, you know, just, just having a little bit more of that, you know, you, you really have to, to, to invest in making sure that there's proper police training, making sure that, you know, there are, there's accountability, in other words. So, um,
2: you know, with, with that, I- can I piggyback on that thought just real quick so just you saying that that vice video that you showed us a minute ago so we had uh every one of those cops rose their hand when they said that they knew about bad cops the every one of them but how many people in that video were retired like I, I've noticed that as they were going through it and it's like, okay, so these cops don't necessarily have protection to be able to speak freely about it until after they're retired.
0: And even the one guy who said I, my views don't represent the police force, even though he wasn't retired.
2: Right, right. He had to be very clear about that. And that's because the unions don't necessarily have their back. They, 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 they're built to, protect these bad cops, as opposed to being able to allow us to have constructive conversations and change.
9: Yeah, and, 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 and it's simple language, and I thank you, Ms. Church, for that, and it's really simple language that we can use. I, I'm really big on simplicity, kiss, you know, keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> and we just have to make it clear to them, listen, your business has to be the business as a police union of first, saving lives, lives of citizens and then saving jobs when you make when you make the priority saving jobs over saving lives that becomes inherently and ultimately systemically and institutionally problematic like i was saying about that officer in southfield we were at the table negotiating terms around use of force i heard an officer say something i've never heard an officer say right it almost brought me to tears he says that a good police officer makes it clear through behavior and through words that I am willing to not go home to my family to ensure that you go home to your family, right? Wow. And it blew me away, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what—that's how good police officers talk, right? That's how good police officers talk. So until that sentiment right. is spread throughout the subculture of, 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 of policing throughout this country, we will continue to have these, these demonstrations, these uprisings, and these protests.
0: And thank you. Thank you for for that perspective. Um, And so I do want to hear closing thoughts and, you know, what are some of the commitments that we all have to, you know, just really advocating for making sure that, you know, um, I read the quote here that talked about how, you know, police are of the community for the community. And that is, you know, I know you know my commitment. I want to make sure that we are, you know, creating a culture of not only transparency and oversight, and you know, you know, making sure that we have those kind of folks who represent our community, um, but. You know, just knowing what we can we can be committed to after, you know, talking about, um, you know, addresses systemic racism and, you know, just talking about the roles of of unions and, you know, um, just more community policing and, you know, having those of those officers be a part of the community. Um, So any any closing thoughts and final words as we close this workshop out.
1: Um, something that I feel like is really important to note, because you know it, in in Oakland, um, there's kind of this disconnect. We try to have conversations with uh, law enforcement about, you know, when can we step in? if we see somebody crossing the line, um, you know, for example, George Floyd or using excessive force, since there really is you know, like as you were talking about these uh, unions that kind of protect that a little bit and not always the clearest of laws when can we as citizens step in without facing immediate repercussions what training can we give to other officers to make sure that they are equipped or what supervision can these officers have so that they're you know somebody isn't abusing that force and and oftentimes the law enforcement near us is very um closed off to hearing about that. And I think that that comes with the difficulty of the job with, you know, the amount of crime. Um, But that's often why we're so vocal and why we protest so much in the Bay Area. Um, But it's it's a conversation that I feel like needs to be addressed and continued to have. When can we, when can we step in? Like when, when can we as citizens step in safely? And when can other officers step in
0: safely and what what are the guidelines for that that's that's a good question and i do think that in some ways you know making sure that like when when you are protesting making sure you have this list of demands and i think that it's important to you know ask for citizen review boards and ask for things like you know that, that that'll foster that sense of you're going to answer for this because you have us to answer to so um, I, I really think that you know that's how citizens can step in, and you know just, just making sure that when you do have these you know citizen made up you know it's made up of citizens, it's made up of normal people, um, making sure that you know you're 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 holding your feet to the fire, and you know that's that's really what you can do.
5: Yeah. Uh, we need, we
9: need review bullets, right? So, uh, the country but our police bodies, bodies that are uh, codified through our charters that have investigatory and disciplinary powers like if, if, if you know if if a body doesn't have the power to hold officers accountable conduct and it's just you know it's all talk right there needs to be like i heard chief Barron say something that was profound he said he said you know brother he said um we can write all the policies we want we can modify them they can be you know the best practices in the world he said but if i as a chief do not hold my officers accountable for non compliance it means absolutely nothing so we need to help this out right we need to have a body in place that notion that if you if you if you if you terrorize our citizens if you do something that's unbecoming right of of, of what you, uh, of what you of what you signed up to do, if you harm our citizens, you anger our citizens, if you do something you know that is not representative of, of what it is you claim to stand for, there needs to be a heavy price to pay, so we have to go from oversight to full, fully empowered commissions that have some power and authority
0: I love that you said like you know commissions and making sure that you have you know those 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 folks who are. Got to make sure they step in. So thank you for that. Anyone else as we, you know, wrap up in our last five minutes here?
2: You know, earlier, Jonathan had, had kind of touched on accountability. Um, and it, it, I think that's universally, you know, what we're saying is, is part of the, the need you know, is accountability. Um, But understanding now that, you know, that really, you know, it is municipality to municipality and the structure isn't there. I mean, I I feel like these are things that just flew under the radar. And so sweeping reform, you know, stuff sort of like Michigan did where it was like, okay, we need to have a unified, like here's the bar for expectations. Here's the bar for what your training is that not only allows opportunities for us to even have just sort of a baseline for policing, but to, you know, if we look at defunding the police, if we look at ways to empower other parts of our societal structure with mental health programming and other resources for like families and parole and all these other pieces, I I feel like that that's part of it too, is like, it, it, we we just it, we need to have to be able to have it kind of as a cohesive conversation. Like if we're gonna if we're gonna look at the structure, let's let's do it right. You know, like let's let's really look at taking the pieces from defunding the police and actually kind of implementing that, having those conversations. It I know it's a big sta- scary term. You know, people here defund defund the police. They kind of do this, but yeah. what it represents can be so beneficial in the long run for our communities and our our country.
0: Thanks for that, um, Lauren. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and close it out. Um, and, you know, I really want to thank all of you for joining um, this discussion. And um, I will send out the presentation. Um, so if and then also the links to the uh, the two videos uh, with the, the interviews with the police officers. And, you know, um, this is going to be something we continue to have um, and so uh, thank you so much for your for your different perspectives hey,
9: I, understand, I understand very quickly uh, if I may uh council member uh this very quickly it's important that we also demand of our representatives that they that they stand strong when they're the negotiating bargaining agreements with the unions mm-hmm. and make sure we get involved with the language that's being used. Because all bad officers are protected by those by those contractual agreements. And if we get ahead of this thing and play chess, not checkers, we can positively impact the culture.
0: Thank you. And thank you for adding that too, because that was something I think to also to Samantha's point, I think it was, um, you asked about like, okay, other than protesting, what more can we do? And I think that really is, you know, um, talking about like working with um, your your state legislatures and your local elected officials. This is something that I appreciate folks like Lauren and Teferi who live in my community and they hold my feet to the fire for like what we can do to, you know, make these communities around us better. And then, you know, I go and talk to more people that are higher up than me. And, you know, I think that's really important as citizens to realize that you do have the power to go and, you know, talk to your elected officials and make sure that they're doing, you know, what they need to do and, you know, stepping up. When these pivotal critical conversations are being had and they need to be had, you know, making sure that we are, you know, not backing away and saying, Oh, just like with Lauren's point about gun legislation. Oh, it's too soon. It's not. This is the perfect time It's the perfect time to to really go, go, you know, hard for something. So, you know, like I said, I want to, you know, thank everybody and, you know, um, Thank you so much, for, uh, Brother brother Teferi, for coming to uh, this session. And, you know, Lauren, thank you so much for coming. And everybody else uh, from from around the country, um, I hope you gathered something from this workshop. And, um, yes, I've got a thank you in here. Thank you from the notes here. Um, and so have a great rest of your weekend. And like I said, the all the information and the slides will be sent to you. Okay. Well bye everybody.